Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Honestly, on the residential side, keep it as simple as possible. And that goes to all aspects of it. Keep it simple with your numbers. I like to do catch-alls as opposed to itemize every little item. Whatever you're more comfortable with, go right ahead. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide in I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean, this is the ultimate rental property tax guide. And you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. Get that ultimate rental property tax guide. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Eric Kotner. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing pretty good, Joe. How about you? I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation. Eric is a full-time investor and has been a full-time investor since 2006. He's done 15 of his own flips and owns 30 units based in Cincinnati, Ohio. With that being said, Eric, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, sure thing. My current focus right now is fixing and flipping. I actually got into real estate investing full-time as a property manager back in 2006 and did that for a few years. I managed about 56 units. 
got into some ownership of my own rental properties during that time. And over the course of a few years, I realized I am horrible at property management. So in 2009, I got my real estate license. Perfect timing for that as well. Realized the headaches and challenges involved being a realtor in 2009. I decided I was going to start a fix and flip business in 2011. And since 2011, I've been focusing primarily on fix and flip properties. So what type of properties do you go after? I like to go for the bread and butter neighborhoods. My ideal ARV areas are between 120000 all the way up to 300000 And I really don't try to go above 300000 for the Cincinnati market because the outskirts of the suburbs that I prefer, Butler and Warren County, once you go above 300000 it becomes a lot more of a difficult remodel because you need to have this right type of finishes done too. And the clientele during that time have certain expectations when it comes to the properties along those lines. So it's a lot more difficult to have simple rehabs when you get above $300,000 in Cincinnati. You've got 30 units that you own currently, correct? That is correct. I am in a 50-50 partnership with a 12 unit. I do own an 18 unit that also has some commercial space with it as well, a triplex, and then also two single family properties. Oh, wow. You got a whole smorgasbord of properties. So you got a 12 unit, an 18 unit with commercial. What else do you have? A triplex? Yeah, a triplex. And then I have two single families. Two single families. Okay. Let's talk about that a little bit. Which one is the best ROI? Honestly, the best ROI right now is the 12 unit. That one we had some insider knowledge on. So essentially what happened was going to try to make this long story very short, but this 12 unit, we had a property manager that we referred to that 12 unit a couple of years ago, they had pipe burst that pretty much ruined about seven of the units. Mm-hmm. And during that time, the property manager was trying to report to this company that was an estate company down in Florida to say, Hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And the asset management company was being very difficult to work with. So What happened was all but one of the units became completely vacant during that time. Wow. And they put the insurance claim in for those units that got taken care of. So finally, after a long ordeal, they finally had all the units remodeled in that scenario and they started renting them out again. I think once they got to about 10 of them rented, they decided to switch strategies and went with a different property manager. And then a few months after they went with a different property manager, they called us and say, we want to unload this 12 unit property. Do you know what anyone would buy it for? So this 12 unit was located in Fairfield. And essentially we asked them how much they were looking to sell this property for. And essentially what they said was, well, when we had our appraisal done, it was valued between 170 to $180,000. So keep in mind during this time when they told us this, they already had 11 of the 12 units rented out as opposed to the one unit. And they already had the seven units that were destroyed during the busted pipe completely fixed, but they based it off the appraisal that they just had when they only had one unit filled out. Got it. Okay. So essentially what it was, was we got this $500,000 property under contract for (laughs) $180,000. And who's we? This was my dad. My dad and I went 50-50 partnership on it because my dad was W-2 employee, very easy to get a bank loan done on that. So we kind of went into it together for the property. So, And what what have you done since you've owned it? I've been collecting passive checks of $1,000 a month. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Essentially, once we took back ownership again, we put the property manager that I recommended to them the first time back into it. And she's just been incredible with it. 
That is the 12 unit. And you mentioned you've got an 18 unit with commercial space. Yes. Tell us about that one. This one is actually the worst deal that I have done. Um, <laughs> what about even a single family home? Don't you have like a single family home mess up that you? Oh, uh, I do. But this one, this uh, in your portfolio, I guess, right? Yeah, the eighteen unit on there was when I definitely got a little bit more ambitious. When I had ownership back then, I had like three eight unit apartment complexes. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of sell two of them and then upgrade into a bigger complex. So I noticed that two of my eight units at the time were pretty much only grossing, I think about $3,000. So two of those were only about gross of $6,000. And this one, like first all the numbers on it, I saw that the potential of this property, I could easily reach up to $14,000 a month mm-hmm. on a gross. And when I did all my net, it was looking to about 3,500 a month. Of that sounds net like a slam dunk. Yeah, it sounded like a slam dunk. And the problem that happened there was I went with two eight unit apartment style complexes. I sold them and then I pretty much bought this 18 unit that were townhome style. So the expertise I had that made it so good with the eight units mm-hmm. didn't transfer very well when it came to townhomes. Why? Well, because instead of AC units, I was now dealing with full HVAC systems. And also during that time, 2014, I think I maybe did about four or five flips. So when I did the estimation of what it would take to turn this property around, I estimated probably close to about $90,000 when in retrospect, it was probably close to $250,000. Oh, dog. Yeah. So I paid $500,000 for that one. And I think I had about $700,000 of my own money into it. And at that point, I would say like near the end of 2015, we were really close to getting above that hill. And then we only had two vacancies left. And then we had like two dated properties out of the entire thing. Hmm. And then just stuff happened. And we went to two vacancies back to six vacancies. One of the tenants called and complained about a bed bug issue and the upstairs unit above it where the bed bugs are coming from, didn't want to do anything about it. So we pretty much had to wait till they get them evicted to take care of that issue. And then this kind of spiraled back downhill after being so close to it. And eventually, actually, I think it was last year, I sold that on a master lease option. So I still technically own it right now. But here in the next year or two, I probably won't own that property anymore. For anyone who's not familiar with master lease with option to purchase, can you just describe that and then also maybe talk through the terms that you sold it on? Yeah. For the master lease option, it's essentially saying that I am giving this person the option to buy this property as well as controlling the property until they decide to buy the property. So a master lease option, I gave them control to turn over the units at their cost, to lease the units, and then the ability to collect rents, evict people, and all that stuff. The terms that I had on mine were I sold it for $575,000, $60,000 down, and then anything past the current mortgage at the time, which was four sixty nine, dollars whatever principal they paid down, they got to keep. So when it comes time to sell the property, I should be receiving another $40,000 check back from the 515 to the 469 portion of it. And essentially I continue paying the mortgage and the insurance. They are paying for the property taxes as well as the upkeep of the apartment complex, but they're also collecting all the rents while they just pay me one monthly amount. And the commercial space that you mentioned, what is it? I think as of right now, it is vacant. When I took it over, it was previously a pharmacy, a CPA, and a barbershop. Dang, is that big? Oh, yeah. This is probably about over 3,000 square feet on the main floor and another 3,000 square feet at the bottom. 
So total, this is probably about 6,000 square foot commercial space. Hmm. And what happened to those tenants whenever you first bought it? When I first bought it, the pharmacy just left the premises. So that just remained vacant and they just kind of left everything there. Uh-huh. Whereas the barbershop and the CPA essentially were still renting it out. Now, those two people, they actually were never on a lease. Um, and they've been in that spot for over, I think it was 25, 30 years. The barbershop just retired last year. And I'm not quite sure if the CPA is still in there or not. If you were to be presented an 18 unit with 6,000 square feet of commercial space, but a different one in the area that you typically invest, what questions would you ask prior to doing the transaction on that new deal that you perhaps didn't ask or think through on this deal? Well, commercial side right now, it's still really rough. The way I originally did that deal was I wanted the apartment complex to be good and cash flowing based on my numbers. And then anything of that commercial space would have been like whipped cream or cherry on top. So first thing I would do is I would call up my buddy Osh and get his expertise on the matter of commercial complexes in that scenario. And I would pretty much ask him, how fast can this be rented out? Is it plausible to do a triple net lease to that where I pretty much have to not worry about any of the maintenance issues? Because I think that was one of the big hindrances as well is I treated that commercial side as you would a residential tenant. Sure. So if there's issues with HVAC, I would be the one taking care of it and things like that. I think the only thing that I didn't do was they paid for their own cosmetic fixes and cosmetic repairs, whereas I took over the mechanicals. Okay. So now what's your primary focus? My primary focus is just continuing building up the residential fix and flips. The reason I like that is because I can use the KISS method of keeping it simple. To me, it just seems it's a lot more easier to keep simple tactics on the residential side that I haven't quite grasped on the commercial side to be able to take care of it. What are some common mistakes that you see residential fix and flippers make that you've got that puppy down and you don't make those mistakes? One of the things I like to kind of pride myself on is the ability to calculate the numbers in rehab profits. I think what a lot of people get confused on is the fact that when they go and take a look at a property the first time, they want to use the 75% rule. So when you put down those numbers on there, you can calculate the 75% based on the ARV minus the repairs with your maximal allowable offer. One of the things that I usually do now is instead of doing a certain percentage, I just put a gross profit into what I want to make on the property as opposed to using a percentage. Because in that way, while I'm walking through the property, while I'm talking to the seller, I'm just doing basic addition and subtraction Mm. in my head as opposed to trying to do calculations of 5%, 6%, 2% while talking and trying to calculate the rehab. So you think of the gross profit you want to make and then just walk us through your thought process when you're looking at a property. Okay. So if I get a seller on the phone that wants to sell me a property for $90,000, the property itself is probably worth about $150,000. When I go for $150,000 or lower, the minimum gross profit I want to make is $40,000. So now I already know in my head, 150 minus 40, I need to be on this property for $110,000. Okay. So if the seller is telling me $90,000, All I need to do is walk to the property and see if it only needs $20,000, I can give them $90,000. And if it's worse than that, say it's $30,000, I then can immediately right away give an offer of $80,000. Very simple and straightforward. 
You mentioned 40K profit on what price point? 150. Okay, 40K profit on 150 ARV. And and it's gross profit on there. I always say that because it's on the gross side because when you're talking with the seller and stuff like that, you want to just keep your numbers simple. And then once you get the property under contract and you're ready to go through closing, then you can calculate more on the sales side of it, of what those hits are going to be. Normally, because I'm a licensed realtor, what I do is kind of a catch-all and percentages on the inside. So for people just starting out and they are probably going to pay a retail agent and hit all the worst case scenarios, I always tell them to calculate about 12% on the closing side. So if it was a $150,000 house, you would want to do 15000 for 10% and then add in $3,000 for the additional 2%. So 12%, you'd be looking at $18,000 towards closing costs. Mm-hmm. Where if I base it off the $40,000, i am now looking at a net of $22,000. And if it's higher than $150,000 ARV, what's the gross profit you want on those? It ranges. Obviously, and there's other factors I kind of go in, but if we're dealing just with price point, I usually like to say for every $50,000, I increase it by $15,000. So $150,000 would be $40,000, $200,000 would be fifty five. dollars and so on. So I would increase it per 50,000, 15,000, or per 15,000, 5,000. And, and then you, just kind of range it that way. And is that just something that you've seen that the market will bear? Or is that something that you just really want in order to justify your time or a combination? Where do you get that? For those who like to do the percentages basis, I'm buying properties at about 74% of the market. So I'm at a 4% difference of the people that use the 70% rule. So for me, I know that it is realistic in the marketplace to where we're at. And I know if people who are newer want to use the 70% rule, I know my offer is going to be relatively higher unless they see something where they're only trying to say about $15,000 in repair when it's in reality about $30,000. What's the last deal you got under contract? The last deal I actually got under contract was a wholesale deal I bought from a friend of mine. This was somebody I just kind of met over coffee. We talked about it and he pitched it on one of the groups and I was lucky enough to be one of the first ones to go through the property. It was a three bedroom, one bath house in Fairfield. I bought it from the wholesaler for 65000 I did a joint venture with a general contractor on it where we're only in for about $26,000 and we're actually just about to sell it at the end of February. And we're selling it for $139,000. You bought it for 65K. So you and the general contractor fronted the money to purchase it? No, I got a private money lender at 11% to fund $60,000 for the purchase price. Uh I put $5,000 of my own money to it. And the terms of the joint venture with my general contractor was he fronts all the money on the rehab side as well as oversees the project. Okay. So he pays for all the repairs and what we assumed was going to be the budget for the repair estimation. And then he also managed the project as well. Now I will give a caveat to new best ever listeners out there. I've done four other projects with this general contractor as just a standard general contractor. Mm -hmm. So I vetted him very thoroughly before I was looking to do a joint venture with him. 50-50? Yeah. Cool. And it's on the market now? Yeah, well, it's actually pending now, so it should sell at the end of this month. We don't want to jinx it, though, do we? Exactly. (laughs) Good news is we're past the inspection. Okay. Then the phase, but we still have the appraisal side. Cool. Good stuff. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best ever real estate investing advice ever is, honestly, on the residential side, keep it as simple as possible. And that goes to all aspects of it. Keep it simple with your numbers. 
I like to do catch-alls as opposed to itemize every little item. Whatever you're more comfortable with, go right ahead. When you now have the catch-alls, did you initially itemize every item to make sure that the catch-all incorporated all those items? Yeah. One of my mentors, local in the area, that does a lot of fix and flips, he used to be a CPA. So he was very into the itemize every little thing down to the outlets and stuff like that. So he would itemize every outlet, every square foot of paint, every light switch plate, everything like that, and put it down. Where I tried doing that, I realized that I got upset very quickly when I learned that, oh, I went a little over budget on this side, not realizing that I was a couple thousand under budget somewhere else. So for me, it was just a lot easier just to have that kind of bucket there that's saying, okay, I have this bucket for this entire scenario. That way I'm not going to worry if I go a couple hundred dollars over on electrical or something like that. We're going to do a lightning round. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account. The account's free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever book you've recently read? I actually like the productivity graph. One of the things that they pretty much talk about there is finding out where your areas are, where you work the most and where you seem to lag behind. It's a good time management book too. And it's just giving you that thought process on behind of where you can do the most productive portions of your day and then learning where you can take rest at. That way you can take a 25 to 30 hour work week and make it feel like you're working 60 hours a week just through the productivity of listening to your body and doing proper time management in order to get the most productivity out of you. It's called what? I think it's the productivity chart or the productivity graph. Okay. It's a blue book that pretty much shows like a graph chart with a line going up. Cool. Best ever deal you have done? Best ever deal that I have done, I would have to say that 12 unit. And what's a mistake you've made recently on a transaction? A mistake I made recently on a transaction, the last flip I did, it was a one I did a joint venture with, with a money partner. I agreed to oversee the rehab and also pay for the rehab cost. What turned into a $65,000 project turned into a $90,000 project. I just miscalculated about 500 square foot on the property. I also tried to over-improve the house and stuff like that. We still made money on the deal. I think we split $17,000, but it was one of those scenarios where I caught myself where I had $90,000 of my own money into this project and it went on for, I think, six months or so. And having that much money into one project kind of crimped my marketing budget. And it also really put a hit on my other cash flow needs for running a business. Best ever way you like to give back? I like to do donations to charity. I did recently tear my ACL, so I haven't been able to have a chance to actually go out and volunteer either at soup kitchens or something like that. I used to do it a few years ago, but I do like donating monetarily. And as well as I love sitting down with people 
over Starbucks coffee and stuff like that. And just like kind of breaking down deals with them too, or just trying to figure out ways that they can simplify their business or just kind of like listening to other people's business. And if they want advice, I'm always happy to talk to them about it and see, here's what I saw in my expertise. If I've gone through the same scenario or give them a theory that might help them with a certain property or their business. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? They can follow my company, Turnkey Renovations, on Facebook. We also have an Instagram page, at Sensi Turnkey, where you can kind of see what our past projects have looked like. And you can see where I went over budget on a lot of over-improving these houses, but they look amazing. They can also reach me at eric at com, or just call or text me at 513-375-5819. Eric, really enjoyed our conversation about the different types of deals that you've done from the 12 unit to the 18 unit lessons learned on those, as well as your focus on just keeping it simple and looking at the, as you said, simple tactics on the residential side. So calculating the gross profit and just simply backing out from there. And then how you found your recent deal, wholesale deal, someone you had coffee with and how you structure that deal too, with a general contractor and the numbers behind that deal. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. And we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Joe. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.